And welcome back. George Norrie with Matthew Palomari. His latest work is I Am Consciousness Incarnate. He also has The Thinning Veil. Where do you get the books, Matthew? They're all available on Amazon, and they're um, both available as e-books, tree books, and audio books. And they can also go to uh, my website if anybody wants something personalized. And and that's... um, my publishing website, which is mysticinkpublishing.com. It's M-Y-S-T-I-C-I-N-K-P-U-B-L-I-S-H-I-N-G.com. How did the shamans know what they knew? You know, that's one of the great mysteries. You know, one of the things, when you go into the jungle, and everything's green, and everything looks Pristine. The same. In yeah. fact, the, the Spanish conquistadors would call it the green hell. And when you get deep into the jungle, the horizon is green, and you don't even know, you know, <clears throat> which end is up. That's true. <clears throat> so one of the great mysteries, particularly about ayahuasca, is in all the thousands of plants that are in the jungle. Ayahuasca is a combination of two specific plants to get that experience. How did they know to mix those two particular plants in that particular way to get that particular experience? Trial and error? I think that has to do with it. There are a lot of mythologies. And, of course, when you're in the jungle and all you have is the plants, particularly all along, but going back to prehistoric times, you have to figure out your own pharmacology. If somebody gets hurt, how do they find it out that this plant does that? Like there's one one plant particularly I like. It's called Sangre de Grado. It's actually Spanish is Sangre de Drago, blood of the dragon. Sounds like a wine. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But the Indians couldn't pronounce, so they, they couldn't quite pronounce Sangre de Drago, so they pronounce it Sangre de Grado. But you go to this plant, It's a tree, and you slice the bark. It looks like birch bark. You slice it, and it literally, the sap bleeds like red. Wow, like blood. Like blood. You put your finger in that, it's sticky, and you put that on a wound, and it has latex in it, and it's also antibacterial. So... If you get a cut and you're worried about an infection, you can go to this tree, you cut it, you get the blood, you put it on, and you take it. And they also use it, you know, for women with hemorrhaging problems, and they can, you can water it down for ulcers. So there is that. There's also the whole thing, I'm sure you've heard of this, and some of the listeners have heard of this, where you look at what a particular plant looks like, and it will help that particular part of the organ. The the best example I can think of off the top of my head is they say that walnuts are the greatest brain food. And they look like brains. Exactly. So there's a lot of that identification within jungle. And uh, some years back, I was working with a mentor to the shamans I was working with. And he said, I am a plant man. And my father was a plant man. And his father was a plant man before him. And it goes all the way back to prehistory. So there's had to be trial and error. But it's interesting because some of the things that you, you learn that they know within this ancient um, shamanism, 
in this day and age, this modern day of the 21st century, and they're coming up and going, oh, we've had this great discovery, and the shamans are like, what are you talking about, man? We've known that for thousands of years. That's right, and I bet they experimented on their own populations, though. Oh, sure uh, they Can you imagine the guy who got the poison plant before they figured out it was poison? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there, there's one particular plant. They say, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. It may come to me, but they say that if you ingest that plant, then you're taking the dark path. You're gone. And once you take the dark path, there's no turning back. And when you look at this thing, it's like all these nasty-looking spikes coming out of it. It's like this, it's a palm kind of a short palm thing, but all these nasty spikes are coming out of it, and nothing else uh, will grow around it within a few feet of it. But the other thing that they, they have done is that they observe what the animals eat, and they observe the effects on animals. And then they get a sense that this plant may help in some way. There, there, there are lots of stories about them observing uh, jaguars eating ayahuasca and having, you know, uh, experiences and acting different. So that gave them a hint. And there are other plants that are used. They know that the animals won't go near that one, so there must be a reason for that. And then if the animals are eating a lot of this one, then they must know that must be a good one. And then, you know, plants do different things, whether they're good or not. Like um, some of the best pineapple I've ever had is it grows in the jungle there in, in the Amazon. And it's not as sweet as like what you get from, you know, like dole, um, you know, from Hawaii dole pineapples. It's it's sweet, but it's really yummy sweet. It's not overly sweet. Yeah. And then, you know, there's bananas everywhere. And, of course, uh, coconuts are everywhere. They'll they'll throw stuff up in the trees and knock the coconuts down and whack off the top. I wonder how many people they killed off, though, within their own uh, tribe. Oh well, there are different things that have happened. You know, one of the things I found fascinating there are there are tribes who would only allow uh, couples to have one kid. Sounds like China. Yeah, yeah, but they were, but they did this. If they had more than one kid, they would kill them. Oh, my think, God. Wow, how brutal and how savage that is. Well, yes. But the reason they were doing it is because they were getting raided by other tribes. And they could only pick up one kid and run with it. That so, was still savage, though. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it was a survival mechanism that, that, they, that they developed. And um, a lot of the things that we look on in our culture that we may think are uh, savage or bizarre, for them... It's just more part of the way of life because, uh, in one respect, the jungle is a very beautiful thing, but in another respect, it can be very savage. You know, when a jaguar gets a monkey and tears it apart, um, or you know, absolutely. or something, you know, it, it's not, it's merciless in that way. Let's take some calls for you. First time caller, Mike in New York. Let's get us started. Hey, Michael, go ahead. Hey, how you doing? Good, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, listen, George. Yeah, I want to tell you I love you. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you. Because that's the bottom line of saying a compliment, saying that you love somebody, and I don't even know you, okay? But your heart, I feel your heart, and what you do, you're real, you're genuine. You're very kind. Very kind. No, really. Why I'm kind? Because I'm giving back what I've gotten, okay, and blessings, okay? And today is a day for me that you have no idea, okay? 
it's a it's the next step to where I have to be, George. And you, I'm gonna tell you, people call you and I listen to your show and they say the compliments, but the compliment I'm giving you is the fucking bottom line. Oh okay. Okay, okay. Okay. We're we're okay there. So I I agree. George, you are eminently lovable. I love you, too. We all love you, too. And, you know, one of the things I've learned, and when you break it all down, is that fear is contraction and love is expansion. And you were talking, you and I were talking about consciousness and does consciousness make you a better person and this and that. And, of course, consciousness is all about expanding awareness, and awareness is expansion. And true love, as they say, is unconditional. It, it gives unconditionally. And I mentioned the sun. And one of my favorite sayings by uh, Hafiz or Hafez, I think it's Hafiz, um, 13th century Persian. And he says, even after all this time, the sun never once says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights up the whole sky. Yeah, and if it was if he was Persian, it's probably Hafez. Yeah, I bet you're right. I keep going back and forth. someday, someday I'll get it right. <laughs> I think they they have a little skull cap called the Fez too. Oh yeah, there you go. You know, that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. So we, you have your conferences. Tell me about them. Yeah, we just did the we just did the fiftieth anniversary this past year of the Santa Barbara Writers Conference. Um, so that will be coming up in June with our uh, next one. We did great this last one. Um, we were just a, a few digits short of selling out. And the tradition has been carried on by Monty Schultz, um, who was the son of Charles Schultz, um, Charlie Brown Peanuts. Um, Charles cool. Schultz, we always called him Sparky. He came every year. He'd spend his vacation there. He'd spend the week at the conference. That's classic. Yeah. So uh, that one's coming up, and there are um, other smaller events that are coming up. And Santa Barbara is the really big one. Um, it's a, a really a wonderful one-on-one -on -one rubbing your elbows with, you know, very experienced writers of experience. Let's go to Cornelius in Alexandria, Louisiana. Hello there, Cornelius. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't call me corny, George. I was close. I was close. <laughs> George, I got to tell you a quick story for the coast listeners and stuff. There's a brown dog out here with me, and I gave him some ham, and he's listening to the show, and Matthew and everybody calling him stuff, and he's just wagging his tail like crazy. That's I not a dog. You. That's Tommy. He went to Louisiana <laughs> over the weekend. <laughs> That's great, George. I'll have to call Tommy tomorrow and tell him because we, we need to pray for Tommy. Of course, George told him he was sick, and Jeremy's in the place of him. My question for you, Matthew, they call me the God Guns and Gold Man, the Bible Bullets and Beans Man, and you m remarked on this AI technology. And I, I think it's evil myself, and I think we just need to be aware with more consciousness and stuff like that, what you're talking about. Now, I think some people like Brandon and some of these others They'll take the mark of the beast and they'll put that chip in their head and their brain and everything else so they can become more 
intelligent, but I think we're more intelligent without those mechanical things. So God bless you, George. God bless Tommy. And God bless Coast to Coast AM. All right, my friend. What do you think of high technology, Matthew? Well, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, One of the things that bothers me a bit these days is younger people on their cell phones. They're out of touch with the natural world. Yeah. And um, I've I've noticed one of the reasons I'm doing more audio books these days is because younger people just aren't reading. They don't read. I had a couple of my nephews, um, you know, they were going to read a book for me, one of my books, because I wanted to get their input on some stuff about gaming and all that. And I was waiting and waiting for them for like a couple of months. And I'm finally like, you know, hey, guys, what's up? Is, is the book really that horrible? And then the older one kind of looks down and goes, oh, sorry, Uncle Mal, we don't read. I'm like, wow, okay. That is amazing. But yeah, you're yeah. right. Technology well, has done that. Yeah, I mean, it's it has isolated us. You think about in this day and age with these kids with the with, with the tablets and the phones and all that, if you stuck them in the middle of the jungle, how long do you think they would last? They wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't know what to eat. They wouldn't know how to survive. One of the things I've done with my nephews is I've taken them out backpacking and, you know, spent a lot of time out in nature learning basic survival skills because we are uh, out of touch. I I just read a really interesting article about um, vision nearsightedness and uh, myopia and studies that they were doing, and they found out this was in, I think it was in Taiwan or, or Korea. They found out that these kids who were, who were being um, given intense education at a young age, their eyeballs were elongating and their vision was getting worse and worse and worse. And after all these studies and different things, they finally realized that they were spending so much time indoors studying and being focused like that that their vision was failing. I believe that. Yeah, and then they, and I mean, this is a, this, this is a number of studies that supported this. Now they made them start going outside for different times during the day, and getting back to the natural world was correcting these vision problems. Next up, let's go to Tian in Apache Junction, Arizona. Hi, Tian. Go ahead. Hi, George. Hi, Matthew. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, yes, my question tonight is about MDMA and the effects. That um, well, how do you how do you feel about the effects or um, with depression or just what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, so it's an interesting thing. MDMA is considered to be an empathogen as opposed to a straight out psychedelic, and it has qualities. It's derived. It's technically speaking, it's a phenethylamine, which is derived from a cactus like a peyote and San Pedro cactus. Okay, have that. It's derived from that. It's been very useful in treating PTSD with people, but um, it has potential for abuse. Another interesting thing about it is that it was originally discovered in something like 1865, so they can't patent it. But there have been wonderful, successful stories of people who have done one or two, maybe three, MDMA sessions with a trained psychologist or a therapist and then followed up with good psychotherapy and they were cured. They, they resolved their issues. But of course, it can't be patent, patented. 
So pharmaceutical companies don't want that. They don't want something you could take once or twice. They want you to get you on the Paxil or back or, more and more and more and renewals. Yeah, they want they they want your credit card number, right? So they can hit you every month for your prescription. But when used, to, it's been very effective. A lot of the groundbreaking research was done in uh, in Israel of all places because they had a lot of PTSD issues. And now um, PTSD, and I've done a, a bit of work with PTSD veterans myself, and also people who have suffered um, from domestic abuse PTSD. Yeah. And it has a way of making you feel, uh, it lowers your boundaries, it opens your heart, and makes you feel safe and allows you to, to bring out things that you might not necessarily be able to deal with. But you have to be very careful with it. It, it has uh, potential for abuse. And interestingly enough, our, our problem, nationally speaking, in the United States and other places, is that we are getting all these battle-scarred veterans, whether physically or mentally or, or emotionally, with PTSD. And the VA is actually getting more and more flexible, the, vet, you know, the Veterans Administration, about using these because they're Yeah, seeing, they finally realize what's going on. Yeah, it's great results. But... It is also among, uh, I mentioned, chemically speaking, it's a phenethylamine. It's an amphetamine. It's in the amphetamine family. So you have to be very judicious with it and you have to be very careful. But I think it's a very powerful and effective medicine, and I think that the realities that we're facing with all the, uh, the damage that we're causing for people is making it become more and more necessary to embrace it for a change. You know, just like things that are going on now with the mushrooms, and LSD and other, the microdosing stuff that's been going on and becoming more and more legal in different places. If you had your way to use the subconscious mind or the unconscious mind, which would it be? Well, it's ultimately the subconscious because the unconscious, technically speaking, from a medical perspective, unconscious, you're out of it. And there's a medical definition of unconscious. If you're, if you're out of it and you're non-responsive, maybe you're breathing, you're considered to be unconscious. You're out of it. Yeah. yeah, but but then layered over the unconscious is the subconscious, and that's where there's repressed material, but it's there, and maybe it, it, it's closer to the surface, so it's more accessible. We've got a listener who was in a coma for a couple months, mm. and I'm wondering when you're in that state, if the conscious mind does anything. Are you um, you want my my two cents on that, or real quickly? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there are, there are a lot of reports of people who have been in comas who are, who are perfectly conscious and aware. In that state. In that state. But they cannot respond to the outside world. That's amazing. Stay with us. We're going to come back with final calls, Matthew, with you in just a moment. Matthew's book is called I Am Consciousness Incarnate. His website is his name, linked up at coasttocoastam.com. We're back with Matthew Palomari as we're talking about human consciousness, and we'll get to your calls in a second. Matthew, is there a way to enhance our consciousness? Any techniques? Yeah, the the, the main one is um, the most common one, I would say, is meditation. And, you know, meditation has to do with quieting your monkey mind, because our mind tends to jump around, you know. You can have a million thoughts in a minute, sometimes the way it jumps around. So meditation is the practice of developing awareness. And awareness, um, another uh, definition of awareness is mindfulness, which is uh, 
you know, Buddhist and Hindu traditions. So mindfulness is a practice of bringing our attention into the present moment without evaluating anything. And you can develop it meditating and through other uh, other type of training. So um, it's a significant element of Hindu and Buddhist traditions, and it's based on the Zen, uh, Zen I'm sorry, uh, Vipassana, and then there are Tibetan meditation uh, techniques. And, you know, there are nuances to the whole uh, type of definitions about it. But in, in essence, mindfulness is the way out of being caught up in the past and being caught up in the future and staying in the now. Because if you're in the now and you're not thinking about what has happened in the past or what might happen to you in the future, which are both distractions, if you're present, you're going to be more aware of your immediate surroundings. Let's go back to the phones. Mayette's with us in New York. Hello, Mayette. Yes, good morning. Excellent program, George. Thank you, dear. Um, I have some comment, some disagreement, and a three-brief-part question, and I'll listen over the air. Please take note, Matthew, so you don't forget. (laughs) First of all, this is synchronous with um, my reading of the Emerald Tablets, a version of uh, Tahuti is the comedic slash Egyptian name. He's known as Thoth, also, and Greek as uh, Hermes Trismegistus, mm-hmm. great Hermes, and Matthew said something earlier, as above, so below, so below, as above, the microcosm as the uh, macrocosm and vice versa. I want to disagree about uh, people, indigenous people, learning about plant medicines through trial and error. Some Westerners are doing it, but indigenous people, and you can even look at what happened in the South with people who were prisoners of war and enslaved, as it were, in terms of plants talking to them, and they're communicating with plants. I want to know, Matthew, as to what authors most influence you, and because writers are always good readers, and what do you read, some recommendations for now. Uh, I'd like to know more about some of your um, entheogen, uh, plant medicine experience, uh, maybe go into more of the mushroom and psilocybin. And I'd also like to know, lastly, are there any prospects? I'm looking forward to reading your, your books. I, I, I'm a big bibliophile and also a writer. And I want to know if there are any prospects for films or movies on the horizon. And if you have my questions, I'll listen over the air. Thank you, George. All right, Matt. And I wrote them down too for us, Matthew. So the first one will be, what has influenced you to do what you do? I wanted to find out why am I here? And how did I get here? And what is what is the meaning of life? I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but that's the truth of it. And I've uh, explored every avenue that I could find. When I when I was a young kid, um, I was huge on the space program, and I wanted to be an astronaut. Yeah, me too. We all did. Yeah, didn't we all? Yeah, for sure. And um, you know, I followed the space program, 
religiously. I got into technology. I, you know, I worked on aircraft and all that. But when it came down to it, I was really not in a position to be able to afford all of the education at the time. And then I started turning, you know, there's astronauts who explore outer space, and I'm what's considered a psychonaut, which is what's exploring inner space. So when I started to find out the secrets of my mind by exploring myself, because in the end, all we ever really have is our own personal experience. You can be educated forever and have 600 PhDs, but in the end, you really only have your personal experience. And that's one of the, the core tenets of shamanism is that you you learn what you learn based on your own personal experience. You know, um, people read religious works and they read the words of prophets and they read the works of, you know, Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha. They're reading what they experienced. And the shamans go, well, great, go read about all that. But why don't you go out and, and why don't you go out and fast for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, or go sit in a cave and have your own experience? Because that's ultimately the only way you're really going to learn. Her other question was plant medicine. What what can you tell us more about that? You know, the biggest breakthrough I got was from from reading Terence McKenna has a, a one, his best work I think has a wonderful book called uh, The Food of the Gods, and um, in indigenous cultures, particularly in the Maya culture, and particularly with the Mayas with the psilocybin mushrooms, the plant is considered, the Mayans called it, uh, or the Aztecs uh, called it um, Tio Nancato, which means flesh of the gods. And so we're in, we're in, for argument's sake, Catholicism, where you take Holy Communion, and that's supposed to be the body and blood of Christ. In the Mayan tradition, the flesh of the gods, the mushroom, is actually the body and the blood of you know of the world, so to speak. And when you take that flesh and you take, they they consider that to be the sacrament. And the last question was: She wants to know if you've got any plans for movies. I'm trying. Um, I've got about a half a dozen screenplays. I've had some little activity here and there. I've got some money for one of them, but none of them have been produced. Um, I did myself do a no-budget documentary that I got a producing and directing credit for, but that was the Santa Barbara Writers Conference scrapbook, which was the first 30 years of the history of the Santa Barbara Writers Conference. But I'm, I'm working on it. Maybe somebody will read one of my works, and maybe a film can come out of it. I've, I have my fingers in there, but it's a tough business. Well, good luck there. Joe in Long Island, New York. Hey, Joseph, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Hi, Matthew. Uh, hi, Joe. Uh, you know, it's interesting you were talking about walnuts for the brain. I just uh, heard of a couple of studies where the pine bark uh, can reverse some of the aging neurons in the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have two questions. Uh, first, on the uh, on the actual uh, jungle uh, and consciousness, uh, did you find like uh, where you know there's almost like a, a fight, flight, or freeze where people actually freeze up in the jungle, where they should e- either you know make a motion uh, to attack or retreat, and do you find that there are cognitive biases about even your own behavior and a consciousness that were there that pre-existed going into the the jungle? And then on detecting the shadow, uh, that's very interesting. Uh, do I have a shadow? How do I detect it? 
And uh, do I want to detect it? You know, if you're watching a movie on Freddy Krueger and you either resonate with his character and identify it, that might not be too good. I was thinking of two movies with Matt Damon uh, about the shadow. One was The Talented Mr. Ripley and then The Good Shepherd. Both of them, he was kind of a, you know, uh, subterranean uh underdeveloped psychopath that was kind of under the surface in the character so it didn't really emerge until later in the movie in the characters that he was depicting mm -hmm. so uh you know this idea where uh if you do have this dark side uh how do you do you really want to retrieve it and, and bring it to the open and just a comment on depression uh, depression i was listening to a podcast when it when an actress, an interview with an actress, she said she had bouts of depression. And I never heard of this. She would prepare for it. She would buy her groceries to, uh, you know, stock her shelves or whatever and do some cleaning, figuring she would have a, a bout of depression for like half a week or a week. And she'd kind of prepare for it. And that was interesting, I thought. Well, you know, um, everybody's different. And without going into a full-on dissertation, our brain has levels. We have our primary, it's called the tripartite brain. So our primary brain is reptilian. It's pure instinct and survival. It can be ruthless and cold when it comes to surviving. And it's tied in with fear. And fear has to do with survival. It's a threat to your existence. And so you can lash out strictly to survive. Over that is the next level brain which is called the neo-mammalian brain. Then you start getting into more instinctual, not more instinctual because it's instinctual at the core, but more nurturing, more warm-blooded mammalian nurturing. Some reptiles will have their babies and just leave them or they'll lay the eggs, they'll go away. Some of them even eat their babies, right? But when you get into the neo-mammalian brain, the next level, of mammals with his warm-bloodedness and that kind of a thing, there's more of a nurturing aspect, which also ties into instinct and nurturing. And then, of course, covering over that is the human brain, the outer, the, the, the highest level brain, where there's logic and the prefrontal cortex is more advanced and you're thinking and all that. But all of it goes back to the core of survival. So when you go through these levels of your mind and you find out where are these instincts coming from, some people are more in tune uh, with others. You can become more caught up in your thoughts and in your head, and you, be, you can become more of what's called intellectually centered at the, at the risk of uh, overriding other moving body and emotional things. So everybody is a little different in their development. But um, I have a number of books I've written on it, I can even recommend other books written by friends and colleagues of mine that get deep into this. And you want to, in the, in the end, I, I said earlier that fear is contraction and love is expansion. So if you have this fear and you can get down to where it's coming from, you can discover things and you can grow and you can expand and become more out of it. Just a little side note, when I first went into the jungle, I was terrified of the bugs. I mean, I was terrified, and I realized over time that I got that fear from my mother. My mother was terrified. Were they all over the place, or were you just afraid of the bugs? A little bit of both. The very first time I went into the jungle and I walked in, I got we walked into a hornet's nest. I got stung by 11 
uh, wasp. Oh, wow, that should have killed you. It could have, um, but my adrenaline was on high, and uh, and it was a battle. And then another time, that same time, I was I was eating one time, and I opened my mouth to eat, and this wasp flew right into my mouth and stung the heck out of the inside of my mouth. But I realized that that deep fear that I had is something I got from my mother. So you learn when you go and you realize that, that you have to respect some bugs. You don't know if they're going to sting you or if they're poisonous or this or that, but you realize their place in nature and what they do, and when you have more awareness of them, then you're not going to react strictly from instinct and fear. When you wrote the book uh, a couple of years ago, Holographic Cosmic Man, tell me what got you uh, interested in that. I came to the realization, I, I love sacred geometry, and I came to the realization that the golden mean, which is the golden cut 1.618, is actually the perfect mathematical representation of a hologram. And when you study it and you realize it's all throughout nature and it's all throughout our body, our belly button is at 1.618, that, that division in our body. If you look at the joints of your finger from the end of it to the next one, that relationship between the fingertip and the next joint is the golden mean. And those two, and next to the next section, is also the golden mean. And it's also the basis of the Fibonacci spiral, which is how plants grow, flowers grow, you can see it in, in uh, the patterns of sunflowers, um, in pine cones, throughout nature. The way that a plant grows and the way that the, the, the leaves come up toward the sun, it follows a pattern. It's a Fibonacci spiral. It's called phyllotaxis, which gives each leaf maximum exposure to the sun as the plant grows up. So I saw it everywhere, and I saw the same thing in the pattern of a sunflower that I did see in the cosmos throughout and, and the, 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 uh, a perfect hurricane forms an Fibonacci spiral. It sure when does. When you look at it, it's like when you buy a new car. You know, I, I have, my Prius is older now, but when I bought my Prius and I thought it was great, suddenly I saw Priuses everywhere, right? So when you start to recognize <laughs> yeah. these patterns within nature, then you see that they're everywhere and you realize that it's inside of all of us in many different ways and it's also throughout the natural world everywhere we look. Exactly. Matthew, thanks for being on the program. Keep in touch. For Dan Galanti, Jeremiah Harris, and for Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean Ladasour, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burles, Tim Benall, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett. I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.